We're moving on, and we're still in Isaiah 9, 6, and so that's where that's it. So if you're a note taker, you can follow along with that too. We're going to have a lot of scripture, again, up on the screen for today. Uh, but I want to ask you, um, when you think of power and might, what comes to your mind? So it kind of depends on what your hobbies are, kind of where you're at maybe in your, in, your, uh, in, your, in your workplace and things like that. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe when you think of might or power, maybe you think of mechanical power, right? Like horsepower. Uh, maybe you think of brain power, like intellect, intelligence. Maybe you think of willpower. I know I am thinking of that, especially around the holiday season, because I lack it and everything that has sugary sweetness goes into me. Uh, maybe you think of political power, right? So because we have that is always on the news talking about that kind of stuff. But uh, have you ever been or felt powerless? I'm guessing. Uh, I'm guessing in a room this size, most of us have experienced that. I want to tell you about a, a time in my life where I felt completely and utterly powerless. It was not long after we had first got married, Elisa uh, and I. And it was, it's, it's really strange because this has never affected me up until then, um, but it was probably a year, maybe even less than a year in, into our marriage, and uh, I remember it distinctly. I, I woke up, you know, I had to go to the bathroom, or I woke up kind of feeling funny or whatever, and, and, and the way that our house was, I, 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 uh, I got up and I was, I was walking out of the hallway, and then I felt lightheaded or dizzy or whatever, and I, I called out to Elisa, I, I, I think. And then the next thing I remember is uh, being on the ground, and she was over top of me, and she was freaking out, and uh, she, had, she had said, you know, I, I thought I was going to have to drag you somewhere, and I was like, praise the Lord that that didn't happen, because, uh, you know, um, I don't know how well that would have worked out. She was like, what do we do? And I was like, I, you know, I don't know. We, we need to call um, my dad to come and get me and take me to the hospital. And, uh, and so then I was at the hospital. And uh, they had me sitting in this bed, and I distinctly remember uh, thinking to myself, well, this is it, I'm, I'm going to die, because I continued to black out. I, I would come to for a while, and then I'd black out, and I'd come to for a while, and I'd black out. And I remember my wonderful wife, first year of marriage, I think, sitting in the chair over here and just kind of having a conversation with God as I was cognizant in between those, thinking to myself, man, what a jerk to make a widow um, after a single year. I hope that that doesn't ruin her for getting married in the future, and I, I, Lord, please bring her a new husband, you know, uh, since, I'm, since I'm failing her. Um, and I distinctly remember that, just feeling like, well, this is, this is it, you know. Um, there's nothing I could do. Um, so from then on, you know, of course, like you would assume, they did a bunch of tests afterwards, because they're like, this is not normal for a young, healthy male to be blacking out from time to time, and what was that? And it turned out, uh, just so you guys know, it, it, it's okay. It probably is what will kill me eventually in my life. I have something called basal vagal syncope. So for those of us who are like me, who's like, I don't speak Latin, you know, um, what that basically means is from time to time, especially if I'm dehydrated, you know, or if I'm straining really hard or, or something like that, um, my brain will tell my heart like, hey, you're working too hard. You need to slow down. And my heart is like this. No, okay. And it just stops. Okay. And so then because my heart stops, I pass out because there's no blood flow to my brain. And then my brain tells my heart, like, that's wrong. You need to start up again. And so usually it takes about 10 seconds. So if you're in the medical community, you know, like, that's a long time to have your heart stop. So for 10 seconds, my heart will stop, and then it'll kick back up, usually, right? 
And, uh, and then I wake back up, and that's how that is. And so normally, uh, this doesn't happen, or if it does, you know, maybe it happens like once a year or so or something like that, usually less than that. Um, and I, that's always a reminder to stay really well hydrated afterwards and stuff like that. But that's a scary situation, right? Um, and you weren't even there. Uh, and so, but it's a scary situation. Let me tell you, it's a scary situation to be in. It's a scary situation to watch, I am sure. And um, being powerless is scary. And so maybe that's not the same kind of situation that you were in, but maybe you were in a scary situation. And, and any situation that you're in where you feel utterly powerless is not fun. Well, Isaiah understands that and Israel understands that. So Isaiah, as he's writing this section of scripture, this verse that is our proof text, and we're going to be using that as a launch pad to launch into all kinds of other scripture, which is not my favorite way of preaching, by the way. So if you're new or visiting today, this is not my norm. I like to take a chunk and just walk through that. Um, but today, as we take Isaiah 9-6 as a jumping off point, um, Isaiah's writing to his people, the, the is, Israel people, uh, in a time where they are in a tragedy experiencing destruction by the hands of opposing forces. Uh, They are in a place of powerlessness right now. And so Isaiah is writing to them, and and here's what he says in Isaiah 9-6. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so as we look in this, last week we covered uh, those words, mighty, or I'm sorry, wonderful counselor. This week I want to cover that uh, term, mighty God, as we look at this. But before we do that, let's, let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is true, uh, that it can be counted on. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of all power, of all might, of all authority. We thank you that you are omnipotent, all-powerful. Because, Lord, we realize from time to time that we are utterly powerless. Now, of course, there's, that's true all the time, but there are certain times in our lives where you remind us of that in your grace and in your mercy by using that to draw us closer to you, the God of all power. As so we pray that in your grace and in your mercy that today this message might be a soft reminder of that and that you may use that in our lives as a reminder, not only to bring you glory and honor that you are due, but also to encourage us and bring us peace and joy like you're seeking to do through Isaiah to those people. It's in your name we do pray, amen. So again, if you're a note taker, here's the first thing that I wanna talk about. So he shall be called mighty God, right? Uh, That's the thing that we're looking at today. And when I was thinking at, Uh, thinking of uh, the might of this, it's also this idea of power, this idea of ability, right? Which comes to the 50 cents word, not 50 cent the rapper, but the 50 cent, you know, theological word of omnipotence. God is all powerful. And so that's the first thing I want to talk to you about, the omnipotent God here. God has the ultimate power and will always use it for good, whether we esteem what's happening at the current moment good or not. Now, Again, if you're here this morning and you're experiencing that something that's not good, and what I'm saying is uh, giving you anger or animosity or distrust towards God, let me just tell you that, uh, you know, your final chapter hasn't been written yet. But firstly, we see his omnipotent power in his power to create, as you see there. 
Uh, what we need to understand is that God has created every single thing that you see. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So everything that we experience through our mortal time on this globe is because of God, ultimately. Uh, do you like the fresh look of that blindingly, brilliantly white snow when you wake up in the morning before you have to drive anywhere and you're looking out having coffee? No, maybe not. Uh, and, 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 you know, I don't like it if it sticks around for too long either, but I think we would all agree that there is a certain sense of wonder and beauty in that. Uh, I, I distinctly, uh, you, you know, remember, or if I can paint the picture in your mind, of even if the snow's not there, when you have, like, the, the frozen ice crystals on everything, and it looks like everything has had glitter shaken on top of it, and so as that crystal clear morning dawns, and you just see things, like, shining off into the horizon, how beautiful that is, or like I said, the freshly fallen snow, doesn't the kid in you, and maybe this is just me, doesn't the kid in you, when, that's, when it's just fallen and it's just fresh, don't you kind of want to go out and taste some? I know I always want to do that. Sometimes I, I, I do. If, if you're not in that camp, hey, you know, I'm sorry, I can't relate to you, but there's just something about it that's just so crisp, so clean. And if you've ever driven in that, how, how you know, we, we, we complain about this because it's, it's, it's not the most enjoyable thing to have to, to deal with, but think about the blinding brilliance of that sun as it, as it just is radiated off that purest of pure whiteness out there. Yeah, it's blinding in its glory. And that's just one season, right? What about, have, have, have you ever had the joy of, of sitting out in nature, either during the spring or, or the summertime, and, 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 you know, unfortunately, I don't think a lot of us take the time to do this, and, I, and so I would recommend that to you. But have you ever spent some time where you, you turn, I know this is, this is almost blasphemy to some of you, turning your phone off, going out into nature. Make sure you let somebody know where you're at since your phone's off, you know. But uh, going out into nature, we, we are blessed in Allegan to have all this public land here. And did you know that you can, you can drive out there any time that you want to? I would recommend if it's hunting season, you wear some orange or something like that. But you can drive out there. You can shut your phone off. You can walk out there, and you can just sit and listen. Have you ever done that? If you haven't, I recommend it. There is something so glorious about being out during a nice day where you can feel the sun, where you can smell the woods. The woods actually has a smell where you can, you can feel the difference in temperature as the wind blows. You can hear the praise of the trees as it blows through the leaves. You can see all the different colors of green. There are actually different colors of green trees if you actually step and look at them. You can hear birds singing and chipmunks scattering. This is, but by the way, this is one of the things I love best about hunting. I get up early. I go out there, just, just me, just by myself. Sometimes I'll, I'll bring the boys if, if they have a desire to do that. But I go out there before the sun comes up, and I get out there, and I sit, and it's still, and I just sit, and I get to watch the sun come up. And there's a certain time, if you've been hunting, you know this, there's a certain time where everything seems to wake up. It's quiet, and it's still, and then all of a sudden, you start to hear the, the little birds start to chirp, and you start to hear the rustle of the chipmunks going through the leaves. 
And there's just something so relaxing, so, so peaceful about it. And I can't help what I'm out there to say, praise the Lord for this wonderful creation. Everything that you see, everything that you experience, God has created. I was having this conversation with my kids. You, you know, he didn't have to give us taste buds. He didn't have to give us the ability to see color and all the beautiful flowers of the field, but he did that, icing on the cake. By the way, though, here's the thing. God created everything that you don't see. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. You see, there is a whole separate universe out there. And I don't mean Marvel and DC. I mean, there, there is a whole bunch of spiritual creatures around us at all times that we don't perceive, but they're there. And by the way, the angels, the ones that aren't fallen, the, the good guys, they're there to help you along your way. Now, am I saying each one of us has a guardian angel? No, and I, I don't, maybe, I don't think Scripture proves that out, but it does say in Hebrews that they are ministering spirits to those who are being saved. And so even in this room right now, there are probably angels sent from God to walk with us along through our day and watch out for us. How cool is that? Now, the other part of that is one-third of those angels have fallen, and so also possibly in this room. I don't know if they can stand to be in here where the Word of God's preached, so maybe they're waiting outside for you. I, I don't know. But I can tell you that there are also demons that are watching for us and seeking to kill and destroy, just like Satan. And so there is a very real world out there, a very real spiritual world, of which we are doing battle every single day. And so just as God has created all these wonderful physical things for us to see and perceive, I believe there's also wonderful non-visible things that one day he will give us the ability to see and perceive. Of course, Scripture talks about that, and we're going to talk about some of that too when we get into Revelation. So God has created, and his power, his omnipotence has created everything you see, everything you don't see, and he has created everything that you are. In Psalm 193, verse 14, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And he knows your internal systems too. So not only your outside, but your inside. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. God knows every single piece of you, good, bad, and ugly. He knows the thoughts you think when nobody else is around. He knows the things you do when nobody else is around. And believe it or not, he loves you anyway, right? And so God, the omnipotent one, has the power to create. He is the owner of all things. And so logically then, he has then also the power to command. God is able to do what he says. He has agency. So he is able to command not only us as creation, but he is able to command his own will, right? He, he can do the things that he uh, wants to do. This is part of this omnipotence, because I may have power and authority over my kids as the household leader, right? But I don't have the authority, I don't have the ability to force them to do those things. I mean, right now, I suppose I, I do. That would be probably abusive, depending on the, the context of that, right? But I don't have, and I won't have forever, the power and the authority to 
force them to do the things I want them to do. God is able to give commands to us. We see this firstly in his agency over himself. I am the Lord, I have spoken, it shall come to pass. I will do it. I will not go back, I will not spare, I will not relent according to your ways and to your deeds. You will be judged, declares the Lord God. The first part of that, I am the Lord, I have spoken, it shall come to pass. Every single thing that he says will be done. I I hope that that brings you immense joy this morning. Because Paul then teases that out where he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, I mean, if he's on our side, when he says, you are now an adopted, beloved child of the Lord, guess what? You're an adopted, beloved child of the Lord. It doesn't matter what you say or what anybody else says about that. God is able to do what he says. He is also able to command all of creation. Look at Job 9, 7 with me up here. Whoops, sorry. Nick's on the ball. I'll just trust you, Nick. Thank you. Um, He says, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars. Now that's of God the Father, right? We're talking about that in Job. This is Old Testament, but you know the story. It's not up here, but but you know it probably well enough. Uh, Mark 4, 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so Jesus, God, all aspects of the Trinity then are able to have the power to command. What they say goes. Which means then also that God is able and has given us rules. 1 Peter 1, 14-16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your, formal, of your former ignorance, But as he who's called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy, says God. So I just want to ask you this morning, how are we doing with that? I mean, I don't know about you, so I'll speak for myself and myself only. I've told you before that this is uh, public therapy. I want to be more holy I need to be more holy. I hope that that's the camp that you're in too, that you have a desire to be more holy. He says, you shall be holy for I am holy. He says, as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of my former ignorance, but instead be holy because he is holy. Treat, uh, uh, be the way, have your conduct match your, your personhood. That's what he's saying here. And so God has given us this rule to love one another just as he's loved us. We were created by God and we're answerable to God with how we interact with not only him, but also one another. Remember we talked about that, I think, last Sunday, the the horizontal and the vertical. And so unfortunately, that brings me to the next point. If you're a note taker, he has the power to condemn. God has the authority to judge all of creation. If you didn't know that, this is what it says in Psalm 96, 11 through 13, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then all the, sea, uh, then all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. It's interesting there. I, I love the illustration of what the writer gives to the creation. You know who else does that in a very uh, tangible way is, is C.S. Lewis. If you've ever read 
any of his books, the, the whole Narnia series there at the beginning. So this is spoiler alert if you haven't, you've had enough time, okay? The books have been around for a while. So, but spoiler alert, at the beginning of that, of, of all of them, right? There's this, there's this period of time where the, 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 these kids are brought into this, this, this place of just nothingness. There's, there's nothing. And then it talks about, they, they hear this voice begin to sing. And the longer this voice sings, the more things come into be. Sounds a little familiar, right? I, I think C.S. Lewis stole that from somewhere. But. And so the point of this is, is eventually all these things are literally sung into creation. Then you have Aslan who comes on the scene, who is striding through nothing at first and then walking on. And, and it's the same narrative, but told in a very interesting and illustrative way. And so I would encourage you, if you get nothing else out of this today, go and Google that and read that section out of C.S. Lewis when he writes this section so it can give you a, a fresh, maybe, view of the creation narrative that we see. And so I'm so thankful for that section in, in his books, the C.S. Lewis. But he, he does the similar thing there where this is given the illustration or the, uh, the likeness of real living creatures. And, and who says that they're not, right? Who says? I mean, God said that the stars sing. The Bible says that the trees will clap their hands. Who are we to say otherwise? Can God not give animation to these things out of his glory when he comes? Listen to what it says. The earth is going to rejoice. The sea is going to roar. They're going to exalt. The trees of the forest shall sing for joy. And it's interesting. He says there, why? Because God's coming to judge. Now we think, because we're sinful, rightly so, we think, well, I'm not going to be clapping for that when he comes. But if you're in Christ, brother or sister, why not? So God has the authority to judge all of creation, and that includes the principalities and the powers. Revelation 20.10 says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beasts of the false prophets were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I think that's why the first text that we just read doesn't always make us happy because we know that this is a chance. I hope you know that this is a chance because this is what the Bible tells us we need to teach, not just, hey, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Have your best life now. But he also teaches us, and it's important that we start with, hey, listen, we are sinners in need of a Savior. If we don't have a Savior, we are in real danger. And so Revelation 20.10 tells us what then Revelation 20.12 finishes. So as Nick brings us there, uh, this is what it says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. And so this all-powerful God has the, the power uh, that he has already made to create you, and he has given a command. And so now you need to understand that there is a power to condemn, and that one day he is coming to judge all of us, and that our deeds will be exposed, the books will be opened, everything that we have done will be laid bare before the judge, and he will render a verdict. And so God would be just in his use of power by condemning us. For we have mistreated him and his creation. But he who has the power to create, to command, and to condemn also has the power to cleanse. Only God has the power to save. Nothing you do is ever going to be good enough for him to forgive you on your own merit. 
And I don't know about you, but I say, praise God for that. Because I know my own heart. I know my own deeds. I know the thoughts and intentions of my heart. And I know my past. I know my wounds. I know my scars. I'm thankful that you all can't read my mind all the time. I'm thankful that my book is going to be opened only after all of this is done. Because I'm here to tell you, if you opened my book now, this church would be a lot less populated. But it is God who has the power to cleanse. I want you to read with me. Ezekiel 36, 25 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Psalm 68, 20 says, Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. And Psalm 37, 39, The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. You see, this was the entire mystery of Jesus, which is why we're talking about this today. Isaiah is speaking forward to Christ. We're speaking backwards to Christ. But the mystery of Christ when he was here is exactly this. Now, I think it's on there. I'm not sure. If it's not, I'm going to read it to you. Is, is Matthew up there, the next one? Great. That's what I want to go to. Matthew 9, 1, 3. This, is, this was the mystery of Jesus. This was their problem with Jesus. And getting into the boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. There was not an audible gasp, as there should be. There would have been an audible gasp if you had been there. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Why? Well, because of all the scriptures we just read in the Old Testament that they would have known. They would have known this from very young age. They would have went to Shabbat and done these readings. They would have went to their schools and been trained up in this. They would have had whole books of the Bible memorized, by the way. Shame on us, right? They would have known that salvation comes from God only. Who is this mere mortal that says these things? He is blaspheming, they would say. Verse 4, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, that seems a little godlike to me. I don't know. They didn't even say it out loud. This was just in their hearts. So Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Because here's what he's saying. It's real easy for me to say something. It's a lot harder for that thing to actually come to pass, for there to actually be physically, physical evidence of it. So what he's saying is, you want proof that the, that the other thing actually is taking place? Well, here you go. And so he says, rise and walk, but, so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, I bet. And they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. With all of his power, he decided to save you. Yes, we're pausing for dramatic effect. You need to grasp that. 
all that power. Power to create and knit together atoms out of nothing into the universe. And he said, with all of that power, with all of that ability, with all of that might, what I'm going to do is I'm going to empty myself of all of the glory that I'm due. And I'm going to come down to earth amongst this mere creation. And by the way, in his eyes, because of his perfection, this vile and tainted and sinful creation. And I'm going to take on flesh and become like one of them, Hebrews says. And so that is why our mighty God is an incarnate God, as Isaiah said. A Savior must be fully man. A child must be born. I talk about this with my Beach Point kids for theology. Um, imagine, if you can, the, uh, well, no, we're getting ahead of ourselves. It has to be, the, the Savior has to be fully man because it has to be a one-to-one ratio, right? Insurance. If you're driving a Volkswagen Beetle, fully insured, uh, and you crash that thing, they're going to cut you a check for the price of whatever that Volkswagen Beetle is. What you could do is then go out and buy the exact same kind of Volkswagen Beetle. It'd be a one-for-one trade, right? That's this idea. It has to be something of equal. Scripture tells us it has to be a human in at least half of this uh, so that he could be a one-to-one ratio. Hebrews 2.17, will you jump down to that? Hebrews 2.17, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. There's so many different illustrations of this. I don't really, here's here's another one. If you trace something, right? It should be an exact imprint of that. When when I was a kid, I had this really cool thing um, and I wish I still had it. It's, it's It's basically a tracing table. And so it was like probably like a plexiglass surface, there's plastic around it, plexiglass, and that had a light underneath it, right? And so I could take my picture that I found of the Tasmanian devil, and I could put him on top of there, and then I could put my other sheet of paper on top of the Tasmanian devil, right? And then I could could draw Taz on there, and then I could present that as a lie to my parents and say, look what I drew. And they'd be like, oh, well, hang it up on the refrigerator. <laughs> but I knew, right? So you could do all kinds of things like that, right? And so you could, you could trace over those things. And the, the other day, we were, we were playing a game. And so with my, with my uh, middle son, I gave him my tablet. I put a white screen on there so he could put his paper on there and so he could draw over that, working kind of the same way. It didn't work exactly the same way, but, but you get the idea. So the tracing is supposed to be an exact imprint. It's supposed to be a photocopy image is what we're talking about. So the sacrifice must be fully man. And yet... Sacrifice must be fully God. To us, a son is given the second part of the Trinity. It has to be fully man and fully God, otherwise it wouldn't work. Here's what I mean by that. It has to be an exact, equal representation. That's the man part, right? But it also has to be, he has to be fully God because, all right, so here's the illustration I was going to say before. So don't worry, you're not going to miss it. Here's what it is. Imagine if you can the Pacific Ocean. That's pretty big. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it smaller. Imagine if you can a bathtub, 
filled with water. Okay? It's going to work either way. Trust me. Go with me. So you've got the bathtub filled with water, and I give you one of these eight-ounce coffee cups. And I say, please put this bathtub into this coffee cup. How long are you going to be there doing that? Until evaporation happens, probably, right, if we're honest. Because it is physically impossible for the bathtub to fit into the eight-ounce coffee cup. Pastor, what in the world does this have to do? I'm glad you asked. Let me explain that to you. It has to be fully God and fully man. It has to be fully man so he's an exact copy representation. It has to be fully God so that the entire wrath of God can be poured into that cup. You, are, you and I, just mere mortals, are not big enough. It has to be an equal. So it has to be, if we're eternally guilty, we then also have to be eternally righteous before God. Our eternal sin before a holy God has to be eternally covered before a holy God. So he has to be fully man so that he can cover for us as mere men. And yet he has to be fully God so that all of our sin and, by the way, all of our righteousness in Christ is our righteousness. Remember, we talked about this last week, sins of omission, sins of commission, right? And so Jesus has to be fully God and fully man so that he can perfectly obey where we didn't and perfectly pay for where we didn't. Does that make sense? So let's return just for a minute. So the mighty, all-powerful God of the universe says, I love you filling your name so much that I'm going to empty myself of, of all that glory and I'm going to come down in the form of mere humanity for the purpose of being that perfect representation to fill in that place. And then also, not only a child born, but a son must be given. A sacrifice has to be made. There has to be a debt that's paid. There has to be a life-for-life -life transaction. And so not only a child born, but a son must be given. That goes all the way back to in Genesis 22, too, where he talks to Abraham. He says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains for which I shall tell you. You see, a sacrifice has to be given. And that would be enough. And we could leave right there and we could say, man, that, that is enough for me to worship the Lord today because he loved me enough to give his son for me that I might come into his kingdom and be with him for all of eternity. And that is what we're celebrating when we celebrate Christmas, that the God of the universe would take on flesh, be born among mortals to die the death that we deserve, to pay the penalty that we owe so that not only we would be cleansed, but also then his righteousness would be attributed into our account, making us right before our holy perfect God? And that would be enough. But did you know that our mighty God, as Nick's going to jump the other verses that I have here, and he's going to go to the last point that I had here, do you know our mighty God also has a spirit poured out? I want to read to you these sections of scripture here. So if you're a note taker, it's spirit poured out. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, do you not know that you are God's temple? and that the Spirit dwells in you. 
Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Romans 8, 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And then lastly, Ezekiel 36, 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, it's not up there, but I also I, I want to remind you of this too. That spirit is the spirit of God. Do you understand that? That the spirit of Christ lives in you? That is why there are texts like, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me, right? That is why Jesus in himself said, all these things that you've seen me do, you're going to do greater things than these. And I, I'm here to be the first one among you to say, what? The things you do, we're going to do greater things? I don't believe it. Lord, help my unbelief. I think in our... Somebody's going to get mad at me maybe right now. And I, I love you. Enough to, I love you enough to not care, I guess. I don't know. I don't think we practice this spirit in us as much as we ought to. And, and again, and, and, and I'm one of the first ones who would be guilty of that. I lack such faith, it makes me sick sometimes. Brother or sister, we have the spirit of the almighty, all-powerful God living in us because Christ gave him to us. Resurrection power, not just in the future sense, in the current sense. We are already victorious in the eyes of God. That's part of what I love about things like Celebrate Recovery. Part of what it talks about there is just living in our actual identity. My identity is not someone who struggles with pornography or anger or alcohol or drug use or whatever. My identity is I am saved by Christ. I am a new creation. And that old me that still tries to zombily crawl his way out of the grave, I will every single day by the power of this all-powerful God kick his butt right back into where he belongs. And we will experience victory in Christ Jesus. And we will experience resurrection in Christ Jesus. And we will experience, and if you're here this morning and I was talking about you know, how we're going through uh, tough and difficult things and feeling powerless and you feel that way right now, here's the deal. That's only a feeling. It is not reality in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, you have all of the power of the resurrected Lord coursing through your veins. Now, does that mean that it's instantly going to stop? No, but what that does mean is that you will have the ability to work through it by his grace and for his glory. And then at the end, you will look back and you'll say, that, Lord, thank you for bringing me through this, for showing me, for teaching me, for having a testimony now to give to others, even if it's just one that you share around the table with David and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as we feast with our king. Let's pray. God, we thank you that Isaiah understood what it means to be powerless. We thank you that you gave him this word. We thank you that Jesus leads us as our mighty God. Help us to have confidence in him to persevere both now and forever. Because you have told us, to us a child is born. To us a sin has, son has been given and his name is Mighty God. And so it's in his mighty name we do pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.